So thanks for coming to the session today. Uh, this is the Zero to Google Chrome in 60 Minutes session, a session titled BAP 305, uh, lightweight and inexpensive client devices for Amazon workspaces. Before I introduce myself, I'd like to take a moment and call out the fact that we at Amazon are super excited about this session because, number one, we get device information into our end users' hands, and number two, we have three guests today with us. On my right, I have Ziad Lamam from Teradici, I have Rajan Sheth from Google, and I have Forrest Smith from Neverwhere. And these three gentlemen, with myself, will present to you a story that we believe makes sense for what devices to use when you deploy workspaces at scale, and what the journey is that we've found with our customers in the last two and a half years. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Steve Mueller, I am with Amazon Web Services, and I am the lead workspaces specialist at AWS. And what that means is I work with our largest customers on workspaces. Those customers might be external. They are also certainly internal. There is a huge effort internally at Amazon.com as a whole to get into workspaces. And I have led and overseen the technical lead uh, design and implementation of that. So in case you're just a little refresher, what is workspaces? What we're talking about here is the notion of desktop as a service. This is the idea that you run Microsoft Windows desktops on AWS. Not EC2 server instances, but EC2 desktop instances. And this helps us realize, and our customers more importantly realize, the virtual desktop dream. And what we found was over the past three years, customers came to us and said, server infrastructure is great, allow us to move our end user computing to AWS. They told us that traditional virtual desktop infrastructure, or VDI, was difficult to scale and implement in private data centers. And so the idea of desktop as a service is that it is the replacement, the natural evolution for VDI. That is to say, you have no hassle infrastructure, you get the capacity you want when you need it, and a baseline of performance. And in the desktop world, performance is critical. Success or failure of a desktop in AWS is all about the latency response time to something as simple as the start menu. So for us to deliver performance that's as expected was a huge benefit to our customers in the traditional VDI realm. You get access from anywhere, be it the Starbucks, be it this location, be it your corporate office, with the industry standard security you come to expect. The protocols used for encryption of your data for authentication are standard TLS 1.2, and the remoting protocol itself is implemented as IPsec AES 128 or 256, depending on your choice. So why workspaces? Just because our customers said we should bring it doesn't answer the question why. Well, it's all about the ease of deployment. Traditional VDI was difficult, and the fact that you didn't have exactly the capacity of the hypervisor capacity you needed, the storage systems may not be performing as expected. So in AWS with workspaces, you get to launch the number of instances you need. We deal with all the heavy lifting. And as you'd expect, you pay for only what you use. It's a monthly charge or an hourly charge. This does feel familiar. This is EC2. And on top of that, it's the same Windows desktop that you've come to know love or hate, 
in the fact that you manage them the same way as a traditional physical infrastructure or another virtual infrastructure. Your authentication and policy management is handled through Active Directory and group policy objects. You do the same patching implementations that you would in a traditional environment with either WSUS or SCCM or a third party such as Shavlik. Distribution of software can come in a number of ways, including traditional SCCM, something more basic like app layering, uh, app virtualization, so we're talking about AppV, RDS, any of the, any of the traditional software distribution. Uh, profile management, automation, all of the toolkits that you've already got in place work in workspaces. This also feels familiar for our customers in the desktop space. But really, outside of the marketeering slides here, why workspaces? The answer is that remote desktops, when they replace physical desktops, customers need to do a few things critically. Number one, we believe that data loss prevention is of utmost importance. The idea that data lives on a physical device and that device can be lost in a cab in New York, stolen from someone's office or house, or lost in fire is an issue of data loss. That has real impact to a business, especially if there's sensitive information on it. When you have sensitive information on a desktop, you also want to reduce the zero-day attack surface. You want to keep your desktops patched to the hilt. Patch, ma patch management penetration rates traditionally sit for Amazon.com in the 30 percentile range in physical environments. In workspaces at Amazon.com, we've gone well over 99%. Why? Because the desktops are always online. I don't have to worry about that user getting on the internet. Finally, remote desktops give the delivery time element. If you have a new office coming on site, you can bring them into the corporate network quickly with a remote desktop and possibly enable a bring your own device strategy. Outside of ease of use, delivery time, physical loss of data and patch management, the reality of remote desktops is that you manage them centrally. Hardware loss does not become a productivity loss. If you lose a device, it's a commodity. You replace it with another device and connect to the same desktop. You are productive. And even more importantly is the fact that employees change. Status of the employees change. There is a business continuity issue. If an employee is to leave a company, where did that laptop go? When you've centrally managed your desktops in the cloud, the physical endpoint becomes irrelevant because you've captured the desktop and cut off access to that in the central management position. What we're getting at here is Workspaces enables the same desktop experience, but it breaks you free of the traditional handcuffs and gives you device independence. Your physical device is no longer directly coupled to the desktop you're on. Now, from a workspaces perspective, the platform goal is to provide as many clients as possible. The idea from AWS is customer choice. If a customer wants to run on a Microsoft Surface tablet or an iPad Pro, we have that client and software. If they want to run on a thin client or a zero client, we have that software. Certain caveats exist for thin. Customer choice is in sight here. We have a large customer base that's very interested in Google, Google Chrome OS for net new hardware and the parent open source Chromium for existing hardware. 
That's what the service offers. But what do our customers actually get to? Well, the reality is when you move to a desktop, there's a transition period. You're not going to go all in until you feel like you can make that leap of faith. And that leap of faith requires internet all the time. And it requires this, the fact that the desktop needs to feel transparent and always available and familiar. So you're going to live in your PC or Mac until you're ready to make that cutover. And every customer goes through this, I promise. Because if it fails, you can always fall back. It's ease, of, uh, it's familiarity and ease of use and ease into transition is relevant. But they will also explore other options. Zero client is one option. This is a device that has a Teradici manufactured C uh, sorry, Teradici designed CPU sourced in from the OEMs, from the fabrication plants. There's nothing local on it. It's driven by pure silicon and firmware. You have traditional thin clients in the world where customers might have, and we see a lot of Citrix and VMware shops have thin clients. Uh, these are traditionally small Linux lightweight kernels or Windows embedded servers. The challenge in the thin client world outside of its legacy, is that it still, in many ways, is a PC, especially if you're Windows embedded. And then the new player in town over the last few years is Chrome OS, Google Chrome OS, and its open source parent, Google Chromium. This is a zero-enough platform that features a browser, and the browser gives the IT administrators additional capabilities for their end users. They might put them in a kiosk mode to log into the workspace 99% of the time, but if they need to break out and get to a help desk portal on a browser with the device, they can. Why? Because I can decentralize the IT function and let my users go to the self-service portals to change their passwords or request new MFA tokens. <coughs> while, a customer, while our customers will start the journey there, they really, at scale, in the real world, get to a lightweight position. PC and Mac starts to fade away. Why? Because it's the same problem in the local as in the remote. I'm fighting the same challenge of patch management, SCCM, domain joins, and even if, uh, and then extending beyond that, if you're not a legacy shop and you don't have existing thin clients, uh, we really see customers focusing in on zero clients and Google Chrome and the Chrome ecosystem. Right? The number one goal at scale, and scale is a different number for customers. You might have a customer who's at 20 and a customer who's at 200 or 2,000. Or take Amazon.com, for example. We're well over 5,000 workspaces today that are corporate connected. Scale is all about reducing your operational burden, and that is the number one focus when you go to scale. So the goal here in the end game is to have minimal local patching on your device. You broke the handcuffs off. The device is independent of the desktop. You don't want that local domain join. I don't need my device to be tied to Active Directory anymore. All right? In a secure world, zero or next to zero with very little local data is ideal. Why? Because if the device is lost or stolen or burns, theft, fire, I don't have to worry about it. I, can, I have that data elsewhere. This is the value of the cloud. Device management, yes, important. Definitely important in provision device scenarios. But let me ask you this. Challenge yourself on your device management strategies. If you buy a million dollars worth of devices and device management costs two million, 
Is it worth buying device management? Hence the question mark. And then finally, why not PC? Why not Windows Local? Because you really want to pay only one client license. Pay a license on the desktop in the physical world, you pay one in workspaces, you're paying for two. We're trying to get the local environment problems away, reduce the device down to a lightweight commodity option, and then put the desktop considerations back in AWS. Some key considerations. We at Amazon see a balancing act. Our customers say, hey, what do you do? Which one is better operationally? Which one's worse operationally? Difficult, easy? Yes, we can tell you that. Hence the green check mark. We can even tell you which options and devices are going to give you better TCO or worse TCO. But the one piece we can't tell you or give you advice on after three years of observing customer journeys is the value to you. This is the part that's gray. Everything else is black and white. And the value is something that you as a customer have to come to terms with. Three pillars that you need to take into consideration for devices, we believe. Number one, ownership. Are you going to implement a bring-your-own-device model? Or are you going to provision devices for your users? BYOD seems super easy on the operational. TCO is low. But there might be a value trade-off. You lose control of the physical devices. And you may have that need in an InfoSec world where they want to control the physical devices. Or better yet, HR says we have to provide them devices to do their job. So while a provision model says, I'm going to give my users the endpoint devices that they need to connect to workspaces. Yes, it's operationally a little more difficult. Yes, the TCO, the cost has gone up and the TCO has gone down. The value to a customer in this model might be a more secure or an HR-compliant path towards devices. So again, that value is variable to the customer. Utilization. How do you intend to use your endpoint devices? Do you want one to rule them all or multiple? Well, clearly, I think it's we can all see that one device in every scenario is very easy operationally for admins. Cost of ownership goes down. But let me play out this scenario. At Amazon.com, I have executives who move between two buildings. They want a zero client in building one and a zero client in building two. Why? So they don't have to carry any equipment between the two buildings. They want multiple. Well, the cost of ownership went up and the operational difficulty a little higher but the value is infinitely greater and turned out to pay off what we could have done if they just carried one device. So your job as an end user and a customer to workspaces is to study the value prop. And then finally, are you going to go buy net new hardware? Where are you at in terms of your current depreciation cycle? Or are you going to reuse? Net new certainly seems like it has a high cost associated to it with some operational difficulty of onboarding. Reuse certainly seems easier, but take this in mind. I have a customer who might be looking at 30 million or more in US dollar savings by decommissioning MPLS networks from the office sites to the central location by moving to workspaces. A $4 million net new hardware acquisition for them on a $30 million savings is trivial. And in the end, they get to give their end users new devices. And remember this, this is a very human service and devices the difference between a Fisher-Price device and a quality device is everything. You still have people touching these things 40, 60, 80 hours a week. And that's the variable in the value that you have to study. So I'd like to use this time now to transition to Ziad Lamam from Teradici.
But first, on the reuse, I would also like to call out the fact that as I transition to a zero client, and bear with us as we do, this is a actual Windows desktop, Windows 10, and we will actually make use of this desktop on the reuse. More on that later. Sorry about this. All right. Hang on, you're getting. Okay. You're getting some type of HDMI issue here. All right. So as an attendee, I like real-time demos. So we're trying our best here to show you the devices that we're going to talk about. Uh, but that does mean plugging in and unplugging some of the uh, display cables. So we'll just get that done, and then we can uh, get going. Of course, we tested this multiple times this morning, and you know the gods don't want this to happen, so. Yeah. So while Steve's getting that up, just to touch on one thing um, that he finished off with, it really is a multi-endpoint world. Um, what you're seeing now is the zero client actually starting up, um, and this is what a typical zero client user would be experiencing um, in the office or wherever they might be connecting to if they power down their zero client. But most of us just keep that on. So we're trying to show you the full experience here. And uh, Steve's going to log in uh, to our desktop. Caps lock is on. Um, this is the interface you see, the login prompt. Very simple. Connects to Amazon Workspaces. It's authenticating. And hopefully, we have our desktop. OK, great. Thanks, Steve. All right. So this is me. My name is Ziad Lamam, uh, Director of Product Management at Teradici. I'm responsible for our endpoint strategy, and I work very closely with AWS on uh, components for Amazon Workspaces. Um, so we want to take you through a little bit of uh, background on zero clients, but uh, let me start a little bit with who Teradici is and what we uh, work on in terms of technology. So Teradici is a developer of the PCOIP protocol. Uh, this is the remote display technology that you find in Amazon Workspaces. We're also the developer of the popular PCOIP Zero client that I'll tell you all about. And um, we've got a lot of history. We've actually been doing this stuff for 10 years. Um, over 10 years, we've been developing remoting technology and cloud technology. Um, it all started back in 2007 when we uh, delivered a solution for the highest performance type of users, the GPU uh, users who are doing um, animation or VFX or who are doing automotive design. So most of those types of users in the world today who are doing animation or automotive design or that type of work and who are remoting their desktops are using PC over IP, just to give you a bit of background. And a couple of years later, we introduced a VDI solution um, in Horizon, and that's kind of an on-premises solution that is used uh, widely today. Um, and then in 2014, we partnered with AWS to deliver a managed service solution, so delivering your desktops and your apps from the cloud. 
Um, this is really exciting for us. You heard in the keynote earlier today that people are scaling to the cloud in a very big way. And this is really what we're seeing happening as well. So Teradici is preparing for that and delivering technology to kind of make that happen even faster. Give you a sense of the scale today in terms of PCOIP usage. There are over 10 million users of PCO over IP in the world today across all regions and across all markets using a combination of the workstation, VDI, and the desktop as a service solutions out there. Um, I'm gonna do a quick poll right here and ask who's taken a hands-on lab or who's done a, a certification uh, test here at the show? Can I get a quick raise of hands? Okay, so quite a few of you. Um, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but you are using a zero client. There are over 400 zero clients here at AWS reInvent that are used for the hands-on labs and for the certification test environments, and all of those are connecting to workspaces. So if you weren't sure you were using one, uh, you are, and I hope you had a good experience. Um, okay, let's dive into uh, what a zero client is, and uh, this is what the session is about, devices, and you're gonna hear about all sorts of devices. So simply put, a zero client is a lightweight, stateless endpoint that's based on a very secure firmware platform and that has a hardware decode to drive that great pixel performance. But let's dig a little bit deeper. So there's really sort of four pillars uh, that I like to talk about when we cover zero clients. And the very first pillar is the one that our customers, I think, enjoy the most. And that's that they are ultra secure. So if you popped open a zero client and you looked inside, there's really very little in terms of software and um, kind of fluid components. Um, a zero client is based on a secure firmware platform and there's really no local storage or attack surface in that because of that architecture. Uh, you can't store user data on there. Um, it's very lightweight. And of course, uh, because it uses PCO over IP, all of those pixels are uh, encoded on the host side. And when they get to that client, the only thing that's happening is that they're decoded onto your screen. So there's never any user data in that stream and you can't store user data on that box. So a lot of customers who are moving to the cloud are looking for that most secure endpoint. Um, the second tenant there, the powerful hardware decode, that's something that people really enjoy. It means you can use a zero client for any level of performance, from a knowledge worker right up to a power user. Um, and that's based on the hardware decoder that's found in that zero client box. And the third one, and probably again one of the, the most important, is the low maintenance factor. So because you're not running an application OS, um, like Windows or Linux, it's really easy to maintain, right? It's a tiny firmware image and it's very easy to maintain. Um, I'll talk about the management tool that allows that. There's no hard drive in there um, and no application OS. So it really doesn't require a whole lot of updating. And then lastly, these are available from a broad ecosystem of vendors who uh, provide thin and zero client today. Um, and in a broad array of form factors too. There are boxes that are typically used on a desk or all-in-one form factors where it's built right into the monitor, like the hands-on labs. Um, and then there are even uh, zero-client laptops as well for mobile use cases. Some of the recent updates that we did with AWS for Amazon Workspaces, uh, zero-clients can now support the hourly billing capability in Amazon Workspaces, which allows kind of uh, pay-as-you-go. Um, graphics bundle for Amazon Workspaces for those power users was announced a few weeks ago, and zero clients are already ready there. 
Uh, we support that highest level of performance. And then just yesterday, I didn't have a chance to put it on this slide, but Amazon did announce uh, Server 2016 support for Amazon Workspaces, um, and that gives you the Windows 10 experience. And Zero clients are ready for that as well. So next, I wanted to cover a little bit about the enterprise management. So you've heard all about these great devices, easy to manage, very secure. Uh, but how do you manage them when you have thousands and thousands of those devices? And uh, we do have a solution for that as well. Um, it's called simply the PC over IP management console. It's a very simple name. We probably could have been more creative, uh, but it is a very powerful tool. Um, you know, first and foremost, you can see on, on your screen there um, the dashboard view. So it's a very kind of user-friendly view of what's happening in your environment. You can look at your management console health. You can look at whether you have scheduled updates coming up. You can look at all the endpoint activity that's going on across your entire enterprise environment, all from one dashboard. So it's a really handy tool to look, look at and manage all of your zero clients. Um, the MC for short, I'll use that in, the, in this session, um, is used to manage any brand of zero client. So it's got a lot of flexibility there. And some of the really neat features are it allows multiple administrators to have accounts and you can really um, share the workload in your environment around an administration. You can schedule updates. Um, normally, um, uh, updates for zero client firmware are issued when new features come up. So for example, when we added hourly billing support capability with workspaces, that was a small firmware update. So those are the types of firmware updates that get uh, provisioned. Um, you can do maintenance windows and schedule those. Really great feature that a lot of folks like when they're deploying hundreds or thousands of zero clients is the auto config. This means you can uh, turn on your management console. It will go and discover all the zero client endpoints and automatically provision and configure those based on the user profiles that you set uh, for your organization. And those user profiles um, can be pushed out uh, on demand or automatically. Um, of course, we allow you to export um, the device information for use in third-party systems. And then kind of the best thing of all is, of course, it's a web-based um, access, so very simple access from any browser uh, that's out there. If you want to know more, we've got the, uh, the web link there. There's lots of information on the management tool. But let me keep going. Um, this is the last uh, area I wanted to touch on. A lot of people then come to us and say, well, how do I choose which zero client is best for my user base or my organization? And um, the good news is that no matter which one you choose, it's got the performance capability to service the needs of knowledge workers like myself, right up to uh, power users, and right up to the highest level of designer. Let's start with the first one. Um, Terra 2 Zero clients are the most popular out there. Um, they've been uh, widely deployed. There's uh, over 3 million uh, users of Terra 2 Zero clients out in the world today. And some of the capabilities that those offer is dual display. Uh, you can do dual display 1920 by 1200 resolution or single 2560. So got you covered for uh, 24 inch or up to 30 inch monitors. Um, the performance is, is really great and the cost is really great as well. These are available for under $300. So it's a great, um, I would say entry level um, uh, device in terms of cost. But in terms of performance, it will cover you right up to designer use cases if you're looking at dual display 
um, up to those resolutions that I mentioned. Um, and then I'm going to move up one notch there. You'll see there's a, a new banner. Uh, this is something we've announced in the, the last uh, week or so here around reInvent. We're super excited about this new product. Um, we're calling it Alta. Um, it's going to live right alongside Terra 2. And it's also a dual display zero client, but this has a, even more oomph. So this product supports uh, dual 4K UHD resolution. It's got native Wi-Fi, so you're going to see wireless form factors for zero clients in both laptop as well as uh, box form factors. It's got the latest interfaces, HDMI 2, USB 3. Um, we're, we're connecting up here using um, DisplayPort on the Terra 2. So there's all sorts of options available that are, that are out there. Um, this product also marked a cool milestone for Teradici, and it's when we actually partnered with a company named Sosionex that's based in Japan. Um, and this is a company that was kind of spun out of the combination of Panasonic and Fujitsu semiconductor divisions. And so they integrated the hardware decode that you see in our Terra 2 into a new high-performance SOC. And that's really powering this new zero client called Alta. Um, I don't think those applause are for me. So uh, the Terra 2 quad display is the last one. Um, that I'll mention, and that is really kind of uniquely positioned for the highest-end designer. So if you need three or four displays, there is a quad display version of the Terra 2.0 client that has that kind of ultimate capability. I'll show you here just, uh, you know, hopefully I, I don't kill the demo, but uh, one example of a zero client that we're using to power this desktop here is a Dell P25. Um, but these are available from, you know, all the major thin and zero client vendors. So um, I think that wraps it up for me. Um, if you're interested in learning more about zero clients, uh, you can visit our website. We actually have a fairly good-sized booth here at reInvent where we're showing both Terra 2 and Alta zero clients. You're welcome to come by, check those out and ask the Teradici team any questions you may have. And Ziad, before so, we call it a yes. day, there's a lot of questions we find from our users about if you're zero, there's got to, why do you need a management console? There's nothing you're configuring, right? So right. we figured we'd show you today. Uh, how many actually use zero clients in the room? If we could just get an informal poll. All right, that's a sizable number. So for those who have not, we're actually living in a workspace. We've transitioned from a physical Windows 10. Ziad went to his presentation on a workspace and continued for us. Mm -hmm. But let's get outside and actually look at the zero client. Would you would take him for Sounds a minute? Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, awesome. Steve. Um, okay, so you saw me log in, and as Steve mentioned, we were, we were in the cloud for this presentation on a zero client. So uh, we went through the login interface, but you'll see right at the top here, there is a small menu called options. So there are certain configurability features, there are certain knobs, um, you know, uh, there are settings. If you go into the configuration tab here, you'll see your IP address, um, you'll see there's DHCP settings. Um, you can change the session settings as well. There's some basic configurability. As a user, uh, as a power user, you may be in this menu, but generally it's going to be the IT professional that will be using the management tool to, to set all these settings for your users. You can lock down things like USB. Um, you can set things like display topology as well if you're looking for uh, multiple display capabilities, and those things are found in the user session. So here's an example where you can kind of configure your displays in either left or right or portrait or uh, whatnot. 
So we just wanted to give you a quick sample of uh, some of the capabilities that are available. But as you can see, there's no browser here. It's super lightweight, um, and that's why we call it Zero. So, Thank right. you, Ziad. Thanks, Steve. We're going to go ahead and transition now to the next speaker. <clears throat> Great, so while Steve sets that up, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Rajan Sheth, and I run a uh, product for Android and Chrome focused on enterprise and education. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Chrome OS uh, today and what Chrome OS is and how it's relevant uh, to this. We think it's a great client for, uh, for customers that are using Amazon workspaces. Uh, what Steve is transitioning to right now is a Chrome box, uh, which is basically a box that's that big. Um, that's running the Chrome operating, uh, operating system, and it's kiosk. And so what that means is it pops directly, in this case, to an Amazon workspace uh, and gets you right into the same session that we were using uh, for, for the previous parts of, uh, uh, previous parts of the demo. Um, you can configure a Chrome box to go directly into something like this or be something that's more of a general use device with a browser and with other things that I'll tell you about uh, in, in, in a little bit here. Great. So with Chrome OS and with devices in general at Google, uh, as we think about the enterprise, this is the question we ask ourselves is, what would happen if everyone in your business had access to the cloud? And when I say everyone, I don't just mean your knowledge workers. I mean every worker. And I actually don't mean just your workers. What if your customers had access to the cloud uh, as well? What we believe is if we can make that happen, many new business scenarios can, can happen. So as an example, take a retail store. What we're seeing with a lot of our customers, for example, is in an average retail store, the average store associate doesn't have access to a computer. And as a result of it, it's very tough for them to stay on top of what's needed for various products or to be able to uh, do a lot of their processes online. Many things are done via paper uh, as a result of that. And customers, when they walk into a store, don't necessarily have access to enough information uh, to be able to know what to buy. We can do that by putting more computing out there. But computing tends to be expensive and hard to maintain um, when you put it in, in environments like that. And so as a result, the actual reality is much starker uh, than this. And so there are about three and a quarter billion people walking into workplaces in the world today. But there are only about 750 million PCs uh, in businesses. And there are only about 300 million managed smartphones. And so literally, there are a billion plus people that don't have access to computing when they walk into a workplace uh, uh, today. And so this is what we wanted to change uh, when we thought about Chrome OS. So Chrome OS was something that we started in about 2008 and released in 2010. And we've evolved it over that time with that same mission, which is how do we make computing simpler, how do we make it more affordable, and how do we just make it better? So the way we thought, approached this is we stepped back to redefine the PC and thought about if we redefine the PC, what would we do differently, especially in the new world of applications that we have today? So the first thing is we wanted to make it fast. Uh, we wanted to make it such that within less than 10 seconds on any Chromebook, you can be up and running and logged in, ready to go uh, with, with just about anything you, uh, you want to do. And you saw that actually firsthand, and you'll see this again uh, with, with how quickly the Chromebook started. Um, the second thing uh, around speed is that we wanted to make it so that it can be performant on lower power chips. 
And so we wanted to make it such that you could get a device for less than $300, or you could get a Chrome box, for example, like this, that's less than $200, but it feels very, very fast. And that's, that's what we've been able to do. The price to performance ratio is much better. We wanted to make it easy so that any user without any training can start to use this. And, you know, more broadly, this could be anywhere from anyone from a power user all the way through to a kindergartner or a grandmother. We wanted to make it that easy to use. We wanted to make it secure by default and secure always. And so we designed it in a very unique way to only run one binary on the operating system and to have a trust chain all the way down to a TPM chip on the hardware. And what that lets us do is actually create one of the most secure operating systems that's out there. But security is all about how much you can control and how much you can manage. And so every Chromebook or every Chrome device uh, in an enterprise ships with a management console uh, that lets you actually control policies remotely from one web-based uh, uh, web console. Uh, we wanted to make it shareable. And what I mean by that is that you should be able to pick up any Chromebook, log into it, and get access to everything that you need. This is particularly needed if you want to enable computing for more users. You don't necessarily want to have one computer for every user. You want to have it such that people can walk up to any device uh, so that you can serve more, uh, more people. And like the cloud, we wanted to make it better over time. And what I mean by that is if you think about the average cloud-based application, you get these seamless updates that make those applications better over time. We wanted to take that to the computer um, and not only give you continuous updates and incremental updates, but make it seamless both for the administrator as well as the end user. And finally, we want to make it versatile, especially in terms of how you use it and the apps that you use. We know that we're in a transition mode right now where people are transitioning from a primarily Windows-oriented uh, environment to an environment that includes browser-based applications or mobile applications. And we want you to be able to use all of them in a very natural way uh, with, uh, with Chrome OS. So I want to dig into two parts of this in a little bit more depth. Uh, one is the shareability, and then the other is this, this uh, idea of versatility. So shareability, um, one of the areas that Chrome OS has succeeded incredibly well is uh, in schools. Uh, so right now, 60% of the devices that are in US, uh, US schools are Chromebooks. And part of the reason is because of that shareability. So the typical case in the school is they'll get a, 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 a cart like this where they'll have 30 Chromebooks. At the beginning of every class, students walk into the, uh, into the classroom, pick out any Chromebook, log into that Chromebook, and they have what they need. At the end of the class, they just close it, put it back, and the next kids walk in and do the same thing. And what that lets people do is share it, but share it securely, and then also carry their state with them from place to place to place um, in a very, very lightweight uh, manner. And so, for example, it, a rack of 30 here might serve 180 kids in an average school day. And so they can start to enable more students with fewer computers. And we're finding that to be, as I mentioned, with things like the retail case, um, really, really important in the enterprise as well, too. Where, for example, if you have a store and you have 50 employees who are on different shifts, you only want to get a few computers in the back that can service everybody. And Chromebooks turn out to be a perfect choice uh, for, for something like that. The second thing is versatility. So versatility, one part of that is the applications that you can support. So Chrome OS, by the name, came from the Chrome browser and was designed with the Chrome browser in mind. 
But I think one thing that we quickly realized is that not all apps are browser-based. So how do we give people access to whatever applications they have, whatever applications they want? So we support all browser-based applications, but what we also recently just announced is support for all Android applications. And so you have full support for the Android Play Store um, on, the, uh, on the device, and you can manage that Play Store from an enterprise point of view and select uh, applications that your employees either have already installed or that they can utilize uh, as well. And so as you think about developing mobile applications, those mobile applications can now be used in a desktop-oriented form factor uh, as well with Android apps. And now with what we're doing with workspaces, you can get Windows apps as well, too. So you're able to actually get uh, the full gamut of applications, no matter what types of applications they may, uh, they may be, and use them on a Chromebook. So the second part of versatility is the form factor. And so a lot of times people have to make a choice between do I get a tablet for something or do I get a laptop for something or a desktop. And we don't want people to have to choose. So we're now designing form factors that can, that can flip between a tablet form factor uh, to a, uh, to a um, desktop or, or laptop form factor and be very useful in both modes. Because we run all Android apps, in the tablet form factor, it feels as good as an Android tablet. And, and when you are in a desktop form factor, you get multi-windowing, multi-multitasking, um, um, uh, all of those capabilities that you need to be productive in that kind of a form factor as well, uh, too. And so these are the kinds of things that, that are making, uh, that make it such that you can now start to get one type of device and use it flexibly for different types of purposes. So I want to show you, uh, you saw kind of the kiosk experience here, but what I want to show you now is, um, is what the Chromebook looks like when you, when you start it up uh, and, and uh, boot up into a logged in mode. And so what I have up here is a Chromebook Pixel, um, and if the, Sure, but it's not up on the screen. Okay, there we go. So you can see it's already up and running. And when I sign in, I'm already all set. And so within less than 10 seconds, I'm up and running and ready to go with this. What you can see here is that you have a web browser, and you can browse anywhere uh, uh, on, the, on your intranet or uh, in the cloud, wherever you want. But of course, we also have a link to the, uh, uh, to the workspaces um, a web client as well, too. So we can get back to exactly the same web client uh, or the, exactly the same place that we were in the previous presentation just through the web client uh, uh, that, uh, that's here. And so as this is getting up and running, the other thing you'll notice here, and you can see this is, this is exactly where we left off uh, in, in the presentation. But the other thing that you can see here is that we also have uh, the Google Play Store now. And this is the consumer version of it, but we have a, an enterprise control for this such that you now have access to, to all of the Android apps that are out there. So I can download an Android app or force install an Android app and start to use that. So you can see right here, you're able to use all of the various parts or all the various types of applications you need all within this, uh, this, this desktop. I could hand this over to Steve and he could log in with his, uh, his uh, desktop and all of his settings, all of his applications would also sync. And so he'll be able to start to use this same device uh, wherever he happens to be. So with that, you know, one, one of the things I think we've noticed is that uh, 
not only do you want uh, new devices like this, but you have many existing devices, but you want those same characteristics for those existing devices. And so um, I want to turn it over to, uh, to our, our partners at Neverware to tell you a little bit about how you can do this with existing devices. Thanks, Rajan. And while Forrest from Neverware is setting up, from Amazon's perspective, you've heard from the Zero Client community with Teradici, and you've heard from uh, Google on Chrome OS. Uh, we do see the trend being uh, multiple endpoints for your needs. Uh, the browser is certainly powerful in that it gives the end users the ability to uh, go to self-service provisioning portals or administrators to pushing apps out via a Play Store type function uh, from a zero perspective that has uh, elements, uh, elements in security models. So with that, we're going to bring in Forrest Smith from Neverwhere. Forrest? Hi, everybody. Uh, like you said, my name is Forrest Smith. I'm the product manager at Neverwhere. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think a lot of what you've been hearing talked about today is uh, what drives Neverware to make a product that's in some ways similar and in some ways different, um, but we're aiming at the same goal. Uh, so one of the things I'm really proud to be able to say is that in the time that it took you to hear about Teradici and their zero clients and to learn about Chromebooks from Rajan, uh, Steve, thanks to his showmanship and coordination, has helped me to convert the machine we were presenting on in the beginning, which was a full-blown Windows 10 locally installed device, and to turn it into something that looks and acts a lot like the device that Rajan was using. Um, so this is cloud-ready, and this device is running cloud-ready. Uh, I'm just going to quick sign into the workspace that we've been kind of jumping into over and over again from these different devices, uh, and then talk you through sort of why we think cloud-ready is an amazing option for those who are adopting workspaces and really just those who are investing in the cloud. Um, everybody here is here because their organization is taking steps to spend more time and more resources investing in cloud infrastructure, in cloud resources like workspaces, like EC2 and the rest of the AWS tools. But in order for that to be a useful change, we have to stop spending resources and time on local infrastructure. We think that uh, devices have really been overlooked in that realm, and that's why things like Chromebooks and Teradici Zero Clients are so great. And we made cloud-ready so that you could choose to have that same change, that same conversion to a cloud-focused operating system, something that won't be at odds with your new investments without changing which devices you're using or compromising on the devices you want to use. So I'm going to take a pause right here so I don't say anything wrong while I'm typing. So, uh, there's a picture of me from not but four hours ago. I hope you like it. Uh, okay, so Neverwhere is from New York City. Uh, it's a great place. We have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm here to tell you about what we do, not who we are, so I'll focus on that. Um, we think of CloudReady as the first standalone operating system that's been built to really leverage cloud resources only. Uh, with CloudReady, you can become an organization that no matter what slew of devices you have, from PCs to Macs to Chromebooks to uh, Thin Clients, all of them can be managed in one place all at once. 
Uh, and that's because Cloud Ready will run on the widest variety of hardware uh, you'll see anywhere. Um, we do this by being a company that's focused only on operating systems. This is what we build, this is what we do. Um, and we built Cloud Ready with the specific intent of creating something that can keep up with your cloud infrastructure, that takes your PCs and Macs that were designed for a different era and focuses them on the things that you're doing now, like workspaces. It takes away the headaches of local operating systems. Uh, it takes away the chance that a user could do something that doesn't align with your new motivations, your new cloud-focused operations, uh, and focuses them on the experience that you've designed for them in the cloud. Uh, okay, so the way we've done this, the reason that this is uh, so similar to what Rajan showed you is because Chromium OS, the open source project that underpins both Chromebooks and Cloud Ready, uh, is where we built this. Chromium OS uh, is really just uh, a stripping of Google's proprietary code and colors and things like that, um, but it operates in the same way. It has the same new architecture that brings security that you wouldn't have on PCs and Macs, uh, that has seamless updates coming through in the background so users don't have to see them, so that nobody has to think about touching devices over and over again. Um, it does auto-launching of kiosks like you saw in the Chromebox, so that you can launch a workspace session and never have a user see any other experience or know anything different about their device. Uh, it's really a refinement of the thin client model we like to think about it as. Um, Cloud-ready devices use the same deeply integrated, completely scalable cloud-based management that Chromebooks do. And like I said, as you convert PCs and Macs and other hardware uh, to cloud-ready, you can actually see them and manage them right alongside Chromebooks uh, in your management console as you work. Um, but the most important thing and the thing that we're really excited about is that you can reuse existing assets. If you're making the shift to Google, you can do so much faster using cloud-ready. Uh, or you can have the flexibility to choose hardware that you can't find anywhere else, that you need for a very specific purpose, uh, that your end users demand in terms of build quality or shape or weight or familiarity. Um, all those doors get open to you. Uh, the reason that we really like to emphasize that is because we think of Cloud Ready as closer to a tool than a product. We think of it as something that you can adopt so as to get where you're going faster, to reduce the chances that the things that you've invested in uh, lose their value, and to make sure that you can do what you want with it. You have the flexibility to implement it the way you want, to roll it out the way you want. You can start laying uh, Cloud Ready down on your Think clients in advance of when you shift from one protocol to another. If you're going to workspaces over the next two years, you can seed those devices with an operating system that can work for now and then switch over as soon as you're ready. Uh, reducing change management, reducing sort of the timing constraints of a rollout of a new product. All of these things are possible with Cloud Ready because you can choose which device to put it on uh, and you don't have to think about whether or not that device will be <coughs> locked to one carrier or one protocol or one uh, setup. Oh, I jumped too far. Um, so I've said most of what I want to say. You saw most of what's powerful about this operating system from Rajan. It shares all those qualities, that kiosk mode functionality. Everything that makes Chromebooks great on workspaces makes Cloud Ready great on workspaces. Um, we just want you to do it on any hardware that you have. Yeah, and before you leave, Forrest, uh, what we like from the Amazon perspective uh, is, of course, customer choice. Right? We don't have a position on a device because you know your device needs the best. We can tell you what our customers see. The one thing that we see in a lot of customers is, hey, we really like uh, Google Chrome OS. We love the browser. That introduces a new dimension, and it works really well with Google's Chrome device management platform. 
but we're not quite ready to move there on the hardware yet. We've got a lot invested uh, in maybe I have a customer who might even have, say, 70,000 laptops in a warehouse, right? They're looking at what to do with the depreciation on that. And so Neverware is an excellent on-ramp to the ecosystem of Google Chrome OS as a whole so that they can allow them to – they can get the utilization on the, on the sunken assets that they've already acquired. So uh, thank you for presenting on that one. Um, I think it's important to kind of close out the session. We're going to try to open it up for Q&A. We've got about 10 minutes left, and I realize that people have walks to the next session. But how do you get started? Amazon came up today, and we talk about what the challenges we've seen in the last two and a half to three years with our customer base, uh, what we can comment on from an operational burden perspective and a total cost of ownership. Each of the three gentlemen here has spoken about their particular platform and how it might make sense in your environment. And hopefully you realize that we presented from a physical environment first and we transitioned to in a workspace and it felt seamless as we went across multiple endpoints. The reality though is you can't get locked up in uh, the paralysis mode that often happens with our customers. And I want to close it out with something that I truly near and dear believe closest to me professionally about this service. It is the most intimate service we offer at AWS. Workspaces is the most intimate service we offer. Why is it intimate? Because anyone who has to deploy workspaces is telling their end user community, I know your desktop strategy better than you. Everything we do here is in the human context. An administrator going to a remote desktop is not only putting his self, uh, himself or herself on the critical path for their end user's ability, but more specifically, if that end user can't do the work, they're going to escalate. Why? Because now they're impacted by it. So everything we do is in the human context. People like their shiny toys. People love their Mac hardware. I'm not, I know plenty of Mac users who are like, you're never taking me, this away from me. There's customers who don't like Windows. They might be in another operating system and you're asking them to move remote. There's also the concern of offline, and I want to address this here, right? Yes, workspaces requires online access and your devices have to have internet connectivity. For every one of my customers who asks me, what do we do about offline, I come back and I ask them very seriously, when is the last time you've been offline and what does the data show? And if I'm throwing a little more color around it, I'd ask, I don't remember the last time I've been on vacation and been able to put my computer or my cell phone down. I'd argue that we're more online than we think we are. All right? So how do you get started with devices? You have to just test. You have to avoid the paralysis. These questions are meant, these are valid questions. Humans will ask these questions. You can't get around these questions. It doesn't stop you and should not preclude you from testing. Go put it at home, go put it at work, on the train and on the plane, wherever you can. I've done over 125 flights in 2016 alone, and every time I try to catch Wi-Fi, my data points show me I'm better than 96% on connectivity on my workspace, and I've been in it for a year and a half. All right? So the point here being, as I close it out, test everything under all network conditions. As you go in, if you're an administrator and you've got end users in those devices, my recommendation to you is go into the workspace yourself. Use that device. When we built corporate connected workspaces at Amazon, and I presented on this last year at reInvent, I went in 100% on a remote desktop, on the workspace. Why? Because a year and a half later, I have every data point I need. My customers come to me internally with questions saying this happened or that happened. 
Odds are very high. We know what it is. And we live and breathe the same experience with them. So if you're looking to deploy workspaces and you're looking to deploy the devices that we've talked about today at scale, I recommend that you go in and drink that champagne with them. So before I open it for Q&A, I would just like to remind everyone, first of all, thank you for attending. Uh, please complete your evaluations. Uh, we love feedback, and we like to iterate on that feedback. So we're going to open it up for Q&A. We've got a few minutes.